And so for that, our main verse that we've been, been um, taking these messages out of is in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, but rather... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Everyone say grow up. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so the thought that's kind of the context for these messages is that when you join Jesus, you join the body of Christ. That's heaven's automatic assumption that when you receive Jesus as Lord, you are automatically enrolled in the body of Christ. And what we want to do is we want to lift out of that an understanding that transcends the, uh, the, the popular notion of picking a church and going to a church and um, receiving whatever social benefits or religious benefits people get from, from uh, church membership. And we want to find out what did God really have in mind for the body of Christ? What is the purpose for us coming together in like faith, fellowshipping, associating, and working together? But the concept is when you join Jesus, you join the body of Christ. Now your decision is, am I going to be a functioning member of the body of Christ? Am I actually going to be a part? And what is that part? What does God have for me? And how do I discover it? How do I sync up and integrate with the other parts of the body? I mean, think about your body. You've got all these different parts magnificently fashioned and formed, uh, but they come together and work together in this synergistic purpose to create the you that's able to move through life, that fascinating body Kind of made you chuckle a little bit. I know. I thought the same thing when I said it, but I wasn't going to go there. Um, However, I want you to consider this. When you think about the New Testament, the entire New Testament is written not to individual Christians as much as it is written to individual Christians within the collective understanding of the body of Christ. For, For instance, all of the epistles are either written to churches or to pastors of churches. When you begin the book of Galatians or the book of of Philippians or the book of Corinthians, it all says to the church at Philippi, to the church of Corinth or to the churches of Galatia. And those that are not written to churches are written to pastors of churches, to Timothy and to Titus who were pastors of churches. So even the book of Revelation, that second and third chapter, is addressed to the seven churches of Asia. So when God put together the new covenant, he presented it to believers who, through their born-again experience, are baptized into or born into the body of Christ. 
And that's where all of these verses work. They all come together and function and work. Christianity works when you function as a member of the body of Christ. When you don't, you're going to have limited results when you try to apply the scriptures to your life. So the idea is that it's self-evident that God addresses Christians as members of the body of Christ through which he functions in the world. Now society uh, has reduced functioning in Christ's body to going to church. And so in many people's minds, it's almost like a box that they tick off. I'm not saying that it's not sincere. It's just um, a step down from what God has really ordained for us, this, quote, going to church. And I think that's why a lot of people will, quote, try church. And when they don't really get the fulfillment that they think they're going to be getting, because neither the people that are going, nor the many, in many cases, nor the church itself, really understands how to function as the body of Christ. When you function as the body of Christ, and all of a sudden, all of the excitement, the fulfillment, the joy, and all those things begin to manifest themselves, because the body is a body because of functionality, accountability, and what I want to talk about this morning, the desire to grow. Everyone say growth. Think of growth as maturity. Growing up into Christ, as the phrases um, that I used when I was reading those scriptures to you, growing up into Christ, that's God's expectation for every Christian. And to fulfill that expectation, um, functioning in the body of Christ is His facility for your growth. The body of Christ, not just church going, but Functioning in the body of Christ is the facility of growth. It's as we combine together every joint supplying that the body builds itself up in love, that is where we find the purpose of each individual part. It's the facility for your growth. Now, um, there is a strange anomaly that exists today and has really for 2,000 years In the church of Jesus Christ, in the body of Christ, there's this weird kind of malfunction, anomaly, thank you. I've never had a problem with that word before. Um, At any rate, anomaly, there's a strange anomaly that exists where large percentages of Christians live in arrested development, or what we might call stunted growth, arrested development, stunted growth, Baby begins to grow with, uh, out of the crib, but then hits a certain level, and the, the maturation process, the maturity, the growth stops. The body keeps getting big, develops hair, changes, but the mind stays infantile, stays young, doesn't grow up. So what was cute in a baby isn't so cute in a six-foot-tall fully grown, you know, adult body, you expect a certain level of maturity. When it doesn't show itself up, we call that arrested development or stunted growth. So we've got this weird anomaly that when we look at the church and when the Bible talks about the impact of the church or we see the church in the setting of society, in the setting of the world, 
We can only explain why what we actually see today and what we read about in the book of Acts, the disparity between the two, we can only explain it as this weird anomaly. We've obviously got a church that is stunted or that has or suffers from arrested development. Now, the scripture that I want to look at this morning that, that really brings this out, just nails it, um, and we're going to tear this apart a little bit, is in Hebrews chapter 5. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 11, from 11 down to verse 14. About this, we have much to say. Let me pause. The author of Hebrews was in his narrative uh, in the fifth chapter of Hebrews, beginning to talk about that um, unusual mystical figure in the Old Testament in the days of Abraham, that guy named Melchizedek, who is kind of a strange character. He shows up during the time of, of uh, Abraham. No one knows where he comes from or where he goes. He's kind of an eternal-like figure. And he's in the Bible for a reason. And Paul wants to teach about Melchizedek and what he is a type or a shadow of. So he brings up Melchizedek, and then he stops. Right after he brings him up, he stops, and he makes this parenthetical insertion. In other words, in the narrative, he inserts this observation, and it's this observation that I want to read to you. He stops as he begins to talk about Melchizedek, and he says, about this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the Word of God. You need milk, everyone say milk, and not solid food. Now, there's nothing wrong with milk. In fact, you wouldn't give a ham and cheese sandwich to a baby. What do you give a baby? Milk. Milk's perfect for babies. Um, However, he says, uh, by now you ought to be teachers, but you need somebody to teach you again the principles of that are basic in the Word of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone, now listen to this, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the Word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained through constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Wow, what a verse. What's he talking about? He's talking about spiritual maturity. And he's talking about the expectation that God's people collectively should be growing and maturing and attaining a certain stature, which he refers to as you ought to be teachers or you ought to be reproducing in other people instead of just needing milk constantly for yourself. So he's, he's looking for fruit and leadership in the body of Christ, but he's saying, I can't talk to you about the subjects that teachers devour and it energizes them so that they can go and produce others. I have to continue to go back and relay the foundation of basics in you because you're still babes. And then he points out the difference. He says, you see, the mature... 
use their physical senses to discern good and evil, because they have spent time in the word of righteousness, they are able to discern right from wrong, up from down. They can navigate their life through a treacherous society, a dark age, a fallen world, and stay upright because they know good from bad, right from wrong. They can discern issues of the day. They understand where to place things and how to sort them out because they are mature. They've used the Word of God to develop those powers and abilities, but I can't speak to you in that way because you are still needing milk and you're not able to handle the meat. In fact, you still want milk and you don't want meat. You ever tried to, can you imagine giving a a ham and cheese sandwich to a baby? They would turn away. They they don't want the ham and cheese baby. I kind of stayed baby-like uh, even beyond my toddler years, whenever the spinach would come out or the broccoli would come out, I'd just turn away. And, and my dad said, this is ridiculous. He needs to eat that stuff. But I didn't like it, so I didn't want to eat it. So Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, describes arrested development or stunted growth in the body of Christ where believers have no appetite for the meat of the Word but they live on a diet of milk intended for babes. Are you with me so far? Okay. So, um, and and the result is they lack the maturity to separate right from wrong, and they are disqualified from becoming teachers. That was his whole point. You ought to be teachers by now, but you're not. So he goes into why that anomaly exists. Um, Let's talk for a minute about the difference between milk and meat. The milk of the Word versus the meat of the Word. What's the difference the Bible's the Bible. The Word of God is the Word of God. You don't, you don't open the New Testament and find, all right, now these books are the meat. And these books are the milk. You don't even go into the chapter and say, this is just milk and this is meat. But there is a difference between the milk of the Word and the meat. First of all, the meat of the Word is for maturing Christians, while the milk of the Word is for babes. That's obvious. Anybody can figure that out. But let's Let's start with that. Meat is for maturing believers, believers who are reaching out to grow, and they are, they are growing. And so they are desiring meat instead of milk. Milk is for babes. Now, growing or maturing up into the fullness of Christ requires a change in taste. At some point as a Christian, you have to change your taste Milk's sweet, milk's good, and like I said, I stayed immature for a while as a kid, and my mom used to have to yell at me all the time, I think right up to about 16 years old, when no one was looking, I was hitting the refrigerator, get the jug of milk out, and just tipping it up right out of the carton, man, looking over the door to make sure nobody, I loved it, and I'd get hollered at, stop guzzling that milk down, I can't just keep drinking, and I don't know why, because I can't. I can't touch it today. I can't. I turned 17 and all of a sudden I hated milk, couldn't stand it. I could take it on my cereal, but I just couldn't drink the stuff. And I still can't, unless maybe you put, you know, coffee, a lot of it in it or something like that. So, growing and maturing into the fullness of Christ requires that you change your attitude, your, your, not your attitude, your appetite. Um, so, we distinguish milk from meat, the milk of the word, from the meat of the word, this way. And it's right in Hebrews 5 where I read 
For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled. Everyone say unskilled. In the word of righteousness, since he is a child. And they distinguish that from, in the very next verse, from solid food by saying, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained. Everyone say trained. You can't train a baby. It's very difficult. You try to train them. I want you to be quiet after 7 o'clock. It's very, very hard to do that. So, but they have had their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. Babies don't practice. Babies don't practice. They just, whatever they feel comes out. It just, they act in the moment. They act based on how they feel. They, there's no sitting and thinking about behavior and, and how I should behave. There's none of that. That comes a little bit later, quicker than some of, uh, some of you moms may want, but uh, that, that, that reasoning, that thinking. So solid food belongs to mature who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to discern good and evil. Milk feeds the nourishment of basic truth with little cooperation on your part. Basically, someone feeds you and you just swallow to get the results. Right? Would they even have an apparatus, a bottle or, you know, a little sippy cup or something, and the baby just sits there. All the baby has to do is just let it roll in. So someone feeds you, all you do to get the results of the nourishment you need, you just, all you have to do is swallow. It's all that's required. Everything else is done for you. That's milk. And uh, you can come and hear messages, hear sermons, that you just sit there, just swallow it, just take it in. Oh, I love this message. This feels so good. And, uh, oh, you go out in big warm belly. You're just, oh, wow, I loved that today. That was wonderful. But, you know, it wears off quick. You know, and then it's, wah. I don't think I can make it till next Sunday. And that's, that's the babe that's on the milk. They don't know how to go prepare a meal and feed themselves. And they don't feed themselves. They just wait until the bottle's warmed up and put back in their mouth. And, okay, I get to, praise the Lord. I, probably, I wish I could just get some of this more often. So, um, but the meat, the meat is the word of righteousness. He describes meat as the word of righteousness. Same Bible, same scripture. But the word of righteousness, it, that is the, the comprehending of the promises of God, understanding that He has raised us up and He has taken our unrighteousness and He has given us His righteousness. And we grow up and begin to develop a mature understanding of what it means to stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And um, that, that kind of growth in in learning what the Word says about who we are in Christ, and then putting it to work in your life. That is what begins to develop maturity. So the meat is the word of righteousness with which you learn to exercise your own faith in support of your own spiritual health. You're not just laying back in the bed and just letting the bottle roll the milk in. But you are supporting your own spiritual health. You are going after the truth of God's Word. When the devil comes up against you and with a line says, you're hungry, you're falling apart, you go to the Word and you speak what the Word says. You do what the Word says. You make the changes and the realignments and the adjustments in your own life to deal with those things rather than jump on the phone and say, feed me. Somebody feed me. Please, somebody help me. Somebody feed me. 
you make an effort to build a library of understanding. You take an effort to understand the teaching in its wonderful structure and how to apply it to your own life so that you can act on it. In other words, you go into the kitchen, you make yourself a sandwich, and you eat it. So um, you use and exercise faith in support of your own spiritual health. And let me say this, besides that, you learn to feed, <coughs> feed others. You take care of others. That's what, that's what the author of Hebrews was saying. You ought to be teachers helping and feeding others rather than just drinking milk for yourself. So the word of righteousness requires developing a proper sense of discernment between good and evil. Babies can't figure out that they just know how they feel. They don't, they, they're, they're not developed to the point where they can deal with those heady issues of if I do this, this happens and that's morally right or that's wrong and that's correct or that isn't correct. So they haven't used their brain to do anything more than just stay in touch with what their immediate wants or needs are. So we understand, what when we talk about growth and maturity, we're talking about naturally moving beyond yourself so that you are discerning good and evil in the world around you and hopefully choosing, uh, making the right choices. Let me talk, if we're talking about babes and, and uh, growth and maturing, um, let me say to you, throw this sentence out and then we'll break it down a little bit. Babies... Eat by preference, but adults eat by conviction. Babies eat by preference. Um, preference refers to what you want without having to move yourself to get it. A preference is, it is what it is. And you don't, you don't go beyond that. This is what I prefer. And so babies eat by preference. However, conviction refers to reaching for what you need, regardless of the effort that it takes. That's conviction. And preference only eats what the taste buds like. But conviction eats what the body needs. You see the difference? Preference, conviction. When you start going from personal preference, now we can see why this anomaly of stunted growth or arrested development is occurring in the body of Christ because many ministries don't challenge their people to go beyond preference. They simply constantly feed preference because it's what gets people through the door. If I simply address people's preferences, never challenge them to rise up and live a life of conviction rather than preference, we keep them spiritual babies, which is fine if you want to have a gigantic nursery. But if you want to have a functioning body, it's hard to do with a gigantic nursery of people who just want feed me. You understand? So we, we, we need to get Christians beyond preference into conviction. Now, spiritual maturity or growing up into Christ means that through conviction and self-sacrifice, you climb up be beyond the easy, low-hanging fruit of preference. In order to stretch yourself and take hold of those higher fruits that develop you into a contributor to others. As long as you are eating by preference, you'll never develop into anyone who can make the sacrifices to feed others. 
because it does take sacrifice to set self aside and minister to other people. But you can't do it if you yourself aren't taken care of. So that's why we need to grow into, con- into a state of conviction. Now, I know conviction is kind of a dark word, and we, we tend to have a negative uh, association in our minds with conviction. When you talk about conviction, too many of us think about guilt. And guilt and conviction are not the same thing. I am not referring to guilt. I'm referring to that clean inner force that speaks to us to reach higher. That there is a higher thought. There is a higher activity. There is a higher place for me to attain. And that is conviction. It is the thing that develops honor and heroism and sacrifice. So it's a good thing. It's not guilt. It is what it is, conviction. Now, In Hebrews 5 and verse 12, it says, By this time you ought to be teachers. So God's expectation for the body is that all of us become teachers. Notice he didn't, he's not talking about that selective ministry where there are certain people who are called apostles, certain prophets, certain evangelists, certain pastors, certain teachers. He's not talking about that unique office of being a teacher. He is talking about every one of us, moms, dads, teenagers, no matter what your occupation, no matter what um, your position, quote, in the churches, we all, in one form or another, ought to be teaching the world around us, those around us. We need to be teachers, not naggers, not correctors, teachers. There's a difference between correctors and, and teachers. People learn from teachers. They get annoyed from naggers and people learn. You understand what I'm saying? So God's expectation is that we become teachers. And by the way, in the original Greek language that Hebrews was written in, that word teachers um, literally means a doctor, a master, or teacher. Um, somebody who is there to not just point things out to you, but to heal you and to help you. Doctor, master, teacher. So not just somebody who's reading off the instructions to you, but someone who's helping you to train. And so he says, you all ought to be striving to be a trainer of others, a teacher of others. When's the last time you confronted yourself or thought within yourself, am I being a teacher of others? When's the last time your own spiritual evaluation of yourself went beyond thinking about you and thought about what am I contributing to others? You see, you can be brilliant and you can be very mature and you can be pulling down a really nice salary and be well respected in the world and thought highly of, but what you are spiritually is what eternally really weighs out your value. And that's why it's not about money and not about education, but it's about where you are in Christ, where you are in God. And, and uh, being a teacher of others doesn't require that you, that you are thought of as brilliant or thought of as a leader in the worldly sense, but are you truly thinking beyond yourself and living to help others? Or does everything basically flow towards you for your own maintenance and upkeep. 
And it talks about teachers, and it identifies teachers as those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, I don't want to discourage anybody from asking questions because nobody's above asking questions. This isn't about becoming smart. This is about becoming responsible. This is about becoming somebody who responsibility for others can be laid upon your shoulders. You make room in your life to help minister to other people and not just yourself. So it's not talking about how bright you are. But you you have to see that when he's talking about teachers and becoming teachers or maturing into being a teacher, he's talking about having your powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So here's why I said what I did about it's okay to ask questions. You want to grow into the kind of person who you can figure out when issues arise and you're watching television and all of a sudden this this really perplexing uh, sociological issue is brought up and people are talking all about this controversy and and there's there's a, a... um, um, whole institutions trying to figure out, well, how, you know, how should we frame the way we look at society and the way we think about morals and those kinds of things. The scripture says all of you should be growing so that you become teachers, that you can figure these things out within yourself that you don't have to just dial up, well, what do we think? What does our church believe? What do we think? Just tell me. You know, I don't know what kind of a person you were growing up, but I was the kind of person that, you know, I loved being driving, being driven places, but I couldn't wait to figure out how to drive. You know, I want to know how do I get there. And, um, you know, my dad was a pilot, and so I used to enjoy going flying with him. But I couldn't wait to find out how do you do that. I, I want to do that. And... Some people love to go through life just having everybody open doors for them and just lay stuff out for them. But, uh, you know, it'd be nice to learn how to cook for yourself. Instead of having, you know, if all of a sudden whoever cooks your meals drops dead. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I, I worry, I can, I'm concerned about society today. I think if that proverbial... Um, EMP goes off in the atmosphere and all the electricity is blown up. Wow, a lot of people would die in the first week because nobody knows how to do anything for themselves. All we know how to do is to get on, the, get on our iPhone and dial up a pizza. And if you ask children, where does hamburger come from? They say it comes from Publix, man, or Stop and Shop or, you know, wherever. It's just... That's where food, that's where meat comes, that's where beef comes from. And the, and, and the minute you tell them, oh no, that comes from a cow, you've just turned them into a vegan. <laughs> their poor little, their poor little delicate uh, uh, mental constitution is shattered. They can't, I'm, I'm, I'm eating Bessie, I'm, I'm eating a cow. These poor people today can't do anything for themselves because they don't understand life around them. They don't integrate with life. They just simply integrate with the technology that brings everything to them without them having to do very much for it. Now, of course, this sounds like a blanket condemnation and indictment. I don't mean it to sound like that, but I'm pointing out a condition that most of us, to one degree or another, probably need to challenge ourselves. So, 
The teacher is the person who by constant practice have trained themselves to discern both good and evil. When someone comes up and says, what do you think about this? You ought to be able to, because you know the Word of God, figure out what's right and what's wrong. But the reason why we see so many Christians behaving wrongly is they don't know right from wrong. And so many of them say, well, our church believes this and we believe that. And, but they don't know how they arrived at that conclusion. And if they ever really learned what the Word of God said, they might not feel or believe or think that way. They may not arrive at that conclusion. In fact, a lot of Christians choose churches because they like the end result. They like what's on the menu, but they don't want to know how it came, how it got there. We just like this hamburger. We don't, we don't, you know, I don't want to know what it is. I like this teaching. I like to come where this is accepted, and I like to go where that is not accepted. I don't want to have to figure out really what's right and what isn't right. I just like those traditions, or I like those. You know, I'm constantly being um, commented to or asked by, by people uh, about traditions. This is my, have you ever challenged those traditions? Have you ever thought, well, why, why is that tradition? It's like the story about the, the lady that always at Easter time would cut the ends off the ham and cook that ham in the oven. She'd get a perfectly good ham from, from uh, Sam's Club, and she'd lop off the left end, lop off the right end, put it in the oven, and uh, she was teaching her daughter how to prepare the Easter ham, and her, she said, you have to cut the ends off, and then you put the pineapples on and the glaze and you put it in the oven and so forth and so the daughter said well why do we cut the ends off the ham and she said well um, that's what my mother taught me to do so she called her mom said mom you know Susie just asked me why we cut the ends off the ham she I don't know why you taught me to do that why do and her said well I don't know your grandmother taught me to do that we've just always done it that way so she said, well, let me get Grandma on the phone. I'll get back to you. She calls Grandma up. Grandma said, what? You're doing what? My granddaughter? You're teaching my granddaughter? You're teaching my great-granddaughter to cut the... Why are you doing that? She said, well, this is what, the way you taught it. She said, honey, back when I taught you how to cook a ham, our oven was only this big. <laughs> you couldn't get a whole ham in there. We had to cut the ends off. You guys have these big ovens. What are you doing cutting the ends off the ham? So, oftentimes people pick churches because, well, that's the way it was when I grew up. I like the feeling of that. I like this, I like that. But they don't know why. They don't know what the Word says. They need to have their senses by regular use exercised and developed to, to distinguish good from evil. Then, you, you know, you can have your preferences. That's fine. But you ought to be not only able to figure out what's up, what's down, what's right, what's wrong, according to the Word of God, so that you can feed yourself and navigate your own life through the trials and tribulations of daily life, but so that you can help others along the way instead of having to always run to your church and say, well, this is the way we do things. Are you with me so far? It really is the meat eaters that build up the body of Christ. And I'm not talking about carnivores. I'm talking about those that, that develop into teachers. They're the ones that build up the body of Christ. The body of Christ, it says in, in, our, um, in our main text in Ephesians 4, in verse 16, it says, the whole body, when each part with power adapted to its need, is properly working in all of its functions. It grows to full maturity, building itself up in love. 
but when those parts that have power adapted to their need. In other words, he's talking about maturity. It is mature people that bring the building of the body of Christ. Okay, I've, I've only got a few minutes, and I have a couple of important things I want to add to this. Let me talk with you, as long as we're talking about growing up and maturing, let me talk with you about the difference between God's love, which is agape. That's the word in the Bible used for the love of God, agape. Um, when you think of agape, think of uh, John chapter 15, where uh, the Bible says of Jesus, greater love has no one than this, greater agape has no one than this, but that a man lay down his life for his friends. Uh, agape is also used in John 3.16, which everyone knows, for God so agape loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And he gave, and Jesus is the father giving himself to the world. And he gave until everything, to the last drop, to the full measure. Um, he didn't go part way, but he went all the way. He loved us with every last drop of life that was in him. So agape is a mature love focused on giving out of itself. Probably the best way that I can describe it. Agape is a mature love focused on giving out of itself. And let's contrast this with the word romance. I like romance. Everyone likes romance. But um, romance and agape are not the same thing. And in the context of loving God and growing up in the body of Christ, we need to get straight the difference between agape and romance. Romance, where agape is a mature love focused on giving, romance is a needy love focused on satisfying its own emotional cravings. Think about it. I'm romantic because I want certain things. Now, I like you, and I would like you to give me those things. I love you, and I would love you to give me those things. But that's what romance is. The, the, the minute this thing between us no longer involves me getting, the romance is gone. Because the nature of romance is about me getting, not about me giving. You understand that people don't know love beyond romance. They only know the love that's defined by their need for gratification. That's romance. Now, when churches build their ministry on romance with Jesus, Jesus is my boyfriend. When churches build their ministry on romance with Jesus, rather than developing agape love, they produce a body of permanent babies addicted to the milk. I, I just can't put it any better. You just got to let that sink in. If, if those babies that are addicted to the milk, that are raised in a church that... that develops its whole ministry around romance with Jesus, if they don't feel the romance when that worship service is going on or when whatever's happening in the church, if they don't feel the romance, or when the preaching starts and you try to feed them meat, they'll whine, complain, say that they're being judged, condemned, or pressured. 
That's what babies do when you try to expect them to be more than a baby. Try to feed them something other than milk. I, I'm not about chewing. You chew it and give it to me. I, I, you know, uh, ro- romance. I need to feel this thing. Now, I love romance. Like I said, it's got its place. But there are a lot of parents here who've raised children and some that have raised grandchildren. And one of the things you find out is romance can make babies, but romance don't raise them. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't still want romance in our life, but do you understand that when it, if you think about how God created the universe, we start with a young lad and a young girl and they fall in love and they're deeply attracted to each other. And those attractions at that level of development are appropriate. They're, they're happening and there's a reason for that. But out of that attraction, God wants to see agape begin to emerge. A deeper, a stronger, a higher love begin to emerge. Why? Because in their love, they are going to create children. And creating children will of necessity demand that someone teach them, someone raise them, somebody help them. Help them to do what? Help them to have children and be mature. You need to be mature because you've got to help your children to be mature so that they can help their children to be mature. It's called generations. It's called God's plan. And all you have to do is look at nature to see it. You don't have to, it, it, you don't need a Bible to understand it. It's right there, self-evident in the universe. Can you say amen? amen. But a church, a ministry that builds its, its ministry to its members on romance with Jesus, they're going to develop a gigantic nursery. Because if they don't feel the romance or you try to feed them the meat, they're going to complain. Like it says... That scripture in Hebrews, I read you out of Hebrews 5, it it began by saying, I'd like to teach you about Melchizedek, or I'd like to teach you about some of these things, but you have become dull of hearing. In other words, what that phrase, dull of hearing, means, you don't want to hear it. You have become, and the, and the, the original Greek word is, sluggish and unwilling to receive. So listen to me this morning when I say to you, if we have a condition in the body of Christ where people are like, I, I just can't get that stuff. It's just, I, I don't get it. I, you might have a lousy teacher. I mean, you might have somebody who's just no good at, at, and they're may, always majoring in the minors. I mean, some, some people who think they're teachers in the body of Christ are constantly scouring in the corners, majoring in the minors, trying to find that tempest in a teapot, trying to teach that obscure revelation somewhere in the book of Revelation, some odd corner of the Bible, because it makes them feel superior that they've dug up this unique truth. Did you know that uh, way back in the days of the Picts and the the, the, the uh, Celtic people and the this and the that and all these and all this crazy stuff and the Bible, this and that. And, you know, and people's heads are just spinning. You might have a bad teacher. You might have somebody who doesn't know how to prepare the meat, the word of righteousness that equips people concerning who they are in Christ and explains how to take that and to make a life out of it 
accurately according to the Word of God. So if that's the reason why people are going, oh, I can't take this teaching anymore, I can't take it, then, they, then it's not immaturity on their part. But if they are being fed the Word of Righteousness, and they're going, oh, I, oh, I, I can't take it, please, some milk, please then what is happening is they have become dull of hearing because there isn't the effort. They haven't made up their minds yet, I want to go make my own sandwich. Just give me the ingredient. Just give me the tool. Show me how to use this blender. Show me how to use this fry pan. Show me how to go to the market and buy this food. Instruct me, teach me so that I can feed myself and feed others. Get that? That's called maturity, folks. Do you understand? Of course. Of course you do. This is so simple. Um, so let me wrap this up. Let me wrap this up and, and, and bring this to the point this morning. And you've probably already figured it out. But only when the body of Christ begins to build itself up in love will it produce spiritual parents. The fault of a lot of the grace teaching today that's in the body of Christ is that they focus entirely on gaining personal fulfillment by receiving Jesus' righteousness. But they fail to preach the next step, which is living to give. When you read the books, when you listen to the messages, they're wonderful, they're great. It's great milk. But it's... it. it only deals with one issue, and that is receive. Receive His righteousness. I receive His righteousness. I receive. Which is wonderful if you intend just to be a baby all your life. But the minute you don't want to be a baby, you want to be a mature Christian, your purpose changes from receiving for you to giving to others. And babies just don't have the ability to give to others. And so that grace teaching needs to go beyond the grace of receiving righteousness and mature into the grace of giving because you are righteous in Christ and ministering to other people. Can you say amen? amen. So they need to preach that next step. The true word of righteousness, which really is agape, the love of God that calls us. When, when you receive the love of God, it pulls you up into maturity. It beckons you. It calls you to mature. That's what agape does. So the true word of righteousness, it instills a desire in us to grow up into Christ. And guess what? The more like Christ we become, the more we desire to raise spiritual children. Do you desire to raise spiritual children? Now, I'm not saying this to condemn you, but I definitely want to challenge you. You should let me challenge you this morning with this thought. Do you have somewhere in your heart a desire that nags and pulls at you? You should be producing spiritual children. You should be helping others come to Christ. You should be helping young believers grow. You should be seeking God for a, for a, for a life that is contributing to the overall upbuilding of the body. Is that in your life? When's the last time you thought about it? If you haven't, if it hasn't occurred to you, that's why I'm preaching this message this morning, so that you'll begin to chase that thought, so that you'll begin to pursue it. Because guess what? If you really want to be happy, when you were truly just a little pink baby in the crib, it was fine 
to think the way that you're thinking. But you're hairy, you're big, you've got muscles, you know, you look like an adult. So it's no longer cute to just be thinking about yourself. And you're not happy. Adults are not happy living like babies. You know what will make you happy? Producing children. What did Rachel say? Give me children or else I die. I need to fulfill my purpose in life. So I'm presenting this to you today so that you will challenge yourself and say, Lord, I want to stir up in me the desire to produce spiritual children. And I want that to guide the decisions that I make in my life. Too many of my decisions are guided by just what benefits me. I'd like to start changing so that I'm living, speaking, and acting in a way that helps to produce spiritual maturity in other people. Look, the great stories of the Bible that we love and admire are about the exploits of mature men and women who, like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, you all remember the three? They call them the three Hebrew boys because they were three young men. But even though they were young, even though Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were young, They had paid the price. If you read the story about their life, they paid the price to grow up in God. And they set aside the milk to pursue the meat. They matured beyond romance into agape. They laid aside their preference for conviction. And you know what? They became great teachers to their own generation. They became, even as young men, the ones that really taught the earth around them about the heaven in their day. And you know something? They not only taught their generation, but down through history, they have taught all successive generations, and they're still teaching today. Think about being the person that even after you're dead and gone, your life is still teaching, is still teaching other generations. The Bible is filled with stories like that. And I would challenge you that every one of these stories that you like, whether it's Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, or David, or all these other stories, they are stories about mature people who paid the price to be mature, and God used them to bring maturity to others. Well, with that, I'm going to close and say to you that the the whole purpose for these teachings is to stir a desire in you to make use of your membership in the body of Christ, to seek to be a functioning member. Say, I want to be more of a functioning member. Well, we have a wonderful opportunity for that to happen. Um, I think it's great that people come. We have a lot of people absent this morning, and, and and I'm sure that it's probably the snow up north that's That has, that has impeded their ability to probably just can't taxi out onto the runway. At any rate, um, however, it, it's great that people come to church on Sunday, and, and even greater if they really uh, worship the Lord and reach out and become a functioning part of the body. Uh, however, the concept of the body of Christ cannot be fulfilled in Sunday church. It plays a part, but it, it can't, can't possibly fulfill the body building itself up in love. So we are beginning, February 8th, to expand into the Book of Acts type template for the church. 
and we're going to be opening up these three, one in the North County, one in the Central, one in the South County, three house gatherings. I would say house gatherings. We're not calling them home Bible studies because they're more than a home Bible study. We're not calling them home fellowships because there's more than fellowship going on. They're house gatherings because they are gatherings unto the Lamb, unto Jesus. And it's the place where not only you can be built up and become a functioning, needed part, integral part of the body of Christ, but you can also reach out to others and bring people into those gatherings and begin to disciple on a more intimate and direct level. And so I see it as absolutely essential, absolutely essential to fulfilling our purpose in the body of Christ. Now I realize the tendency is going to be just because we, we are creatures of habit, many of us have got our, our life's habit worked out. I've got Monday, Tuesday worked out, I do this, Friday, got, got things just, I could just fit church in. <laughs> I understand it. And I'm not criticizing that. I, it, I'm much the same way myself. Um, However, in life, you do have to think of yourself as an eternal person, and you can't think of yourself as, well, I'm going to live life Monday through, Monday through Sunday for the rest of eternity. It's not going to happen. This is very temporary. And so you have to think, well, what am I doing with my life? What am I really doing with my life that's really going to ultimately benefit me and that's, um, that's really going to, to, to make my time here on the earth what, what God wants it to be and ultimately what I want it to be? Um, and so with that in view, you begin to realize, well, you know what, I need to prioritize. So I know many of you are probably going to say, well, that's nice, twice a month, Monday night, at, you know, it's just not for me, I can't really get into that. Besides, I'll probably go there, I'll probably offend somebody, and, and you know, I'm not, uh, it's just, uh, these things always happen. Well, maybe that part of you that offends people needs to be buffed out. Maybe it needs to be, you know, maybe it needs to be, you know, put on the lathe and worked a little bit, sanded, buffed out. You know, babe, mature person, milk, meat, you know, just, just thinking, just thinking about it. Potter's house. Yeah, exactly. There you go. So, at any rate, stand with me. Um, I am hoping that our three house group leaders are busy getting after it and going after you, and talking to you, and pursuing you. However, spiritual adults, growing up Christians, don't wait for them to come to you. Go to them. Say, you know what? I think I'd like to go to Terry Burchard's house. Gather. I'd like to go to the Trimbles. And go after them, and say, hey, listen, I'd like to come, you know, and be a part of your house gathering. So, glory to God. Um, we are preaching all these things so that you understand the importance of the body of Christ, what it takes to really be part of the body, and why this is different than just church going. Can you see the difference? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't come into the world to create another institution. Church isn't supposed to be a place where people go so they can learn right from wrong. It is a place where your people are connected to you and one another. Lord, you are the head. And we just thank you today for your love. We thank you for the indwelling Holy Spirit who lives and resides within each of us, the teacher helping us to grow. And I pray today 
that the desire to grow will stir like an ember, then burst into a flame and engulf every one of us. I pray that everyone who hears this message will be set on fire. Reach us where we are and call us upwards in Jesus' name.